You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Let's talk about favorites. Green, the Philadelphia Eagles, amen, nachos and cookies, whether we're talking favorite color, favorite sports team, or favorite foods, of which those are mine if you're ever doing some trivia, and I don't know why you would be, but we've all got a list of favorites, and we can broaden the subject to include our favorite movies or our favorite TV shows, musicians, and bands, and the list can go on and on. But have you ever taken time to think about where your favorites actually come from? No one threatens you with punishment if you don't insist that your favorite color is green. Or maybe your story is a little different. Maybe you grew up in a household where your parent or your grandparent would invite you outside and say, hey, come help me tend to the garden. And at a very young age, that's where you started to notice all the different hues of green within God's creation. Or, or maybe... On a different subject, you grew up in a home where your mom or dad repeated, hey, we're Georgia fans in this house, so when you move out and pay your own rent, then you can also buy that Alabama t-shirt. <laughs> or you could go down your list of favorites and find ties to people who played roles within the significant memories of your lifetime. And oftentimes, these people involved within these memories are actually people within our family of origin. Where in the Bible, we see the family of origin described not just as the mother, father, and siblings that we characterize as our nuclear families here today, but it actually went back two and three generations to include grandparents and great-grandparents. And the Bible actually detailed that within this family of origin, you can see how blessings and curses actually get passed down from generation to generation. And it's pretty colloquial for us to refer to generational curses or generational blessings here today. But do we actually think about what's attached to all of that? The traditions, the character traits, the sins, the disciplines, the actions and habits that are passed down from old to young. We can call this a variety of different things. Generational curses, soul ties. I would throw in another one and call it hand-me-downs. And while it's easy for us to recognize the trivial things that get passed down, like a, a wedding gown or a wedding ring or maybe a watch, or maybe you have the, the video games and the baseball cards or the Lego collection that gets kept in mint condition and refuses to be sold because you got to keep it in the family. And that stuff gets passed down with the recipes or the fanship of certain sports teams. But what about the more important things that get passed along? What about the beliefs and the values or the ethics and the morals, the, the cultural worldviews and opinions? What about the thoughts of self and others or the views on education, the prioritization of church membership, friendships and relationships? See, what I'm saying is that we're either passed down benefits and blessings that we can take with us or we're passed down burdens and baggage. And how we respond to the receipt of these hand-me-downs will determine how we navigate our lives, but also whether we continue to pass down blessings and benefits or burdens and baggage. See, some of us have received extremely heavy family loads 
And then others have, extre- have received extremely light loads. But when we're talking about baggage, we need to define it. What we mean here is that some of us have witnessed or experienced or seen or been passed down subtle, silent lessons about divorce or about abandonment or alcoholism or other substance abuse or addictive behaviors with pornography. We've seen and experienced dysfunctional marriages mistrust of authority, pregnancy out of wedlock, selfish or costly financial habits that impact the family, or conflict management, racism, and the list will continue, but it can also include the the messages about life. Like, man, money equals success. You make more of it, the more successful you are. Appearance is everything. Or how about this one? Maybe you got to fake it until you make it. Get over it. Do or say whatever you need to do to get away without the consequences. See, all of this gets passed down and contributes to the baggage that we carry, and it can slow us down and hinder us from becoming and acting as who God has saved us to be, which is where our worship and what we do actually should source from. We use that language quite regularly here, that who we are determines what we do, But if we are unaware of the ungodly ways that our identities have been shaped by our family of origin, then what we do, what we say, and what we think will actually come from our family of origin rather than our identity in Christ. We're limited in our awareness of our need for Jesus and the power of the gospel to come in and transform us by the renewing of our minds, which is actually what Scripture tells us is God's desire. But this gets even more problematic when the baggage that we're carrying along, we don't even recognize it as baggage. We're moving slow, we're struggling, but we actually view it as a badge of honor to be held up and show others, hey, see, I made it. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how strong I am. If I did it, you can too. But in the words of Pastor Brent, how many of you know that we don't want dysfunction and bondage to sinful patterns and experiences to be so normal to us that we pass them along like a common cold. See, I wanna entitle this message in my bag for the young folks as I propose that God actually desires that we get introspective, that we actually examine ourselves as the scriptures say. We observe within and look at this baggage that we've been carrying, the things that we've been passed along from generations before us, and we bring it to him to let him show us what we need to let go of and the things that we also need to hold on to. What I'm saying is that our past does not need to shape and define us, but what we can do is we can allow God to use our past to shape and define us for his glory. That what we see in scripture is God says that he can take what the devil intended for evil and bring it for good. And if we believe that, then that means that we can come confidently and boldly and say, okay, God, let's look. Let's take a deep, dig, deep digging and, and deep dive within and see what it is that is not pleasing in your sight. I know some of us are less receptive to this language than others. And if that's you, I, I want to encourage you not to tune out. Even if you're not familiar with or easily embraceive of emotional health, as a follower of Jesus, it's core to your Christian faith that you recognize that sin is something that has affected all of us as humans. We believe that Jesus has lived the perfect life that we could not live, that he died the death that we deserved, and that he rose from the dead three days later. But in his death, he took on our sins. But if we actually slow down to consider, well, where did our sins come from? We know that it started with Adam. 
That Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. We can't go back and reverse Adam's curse. We can't get in the time machine and say, hey, just, just listen, be present, make sure that you and your wife don't eat. We can't do that. Sin has passed through and affects us all today. So it's not a, a stretch to say that that sin continues to pass, not just from Adam, but things get passed down from our family of origin as well, which is why the gospel is so beautiful and powerful because it's only in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, that we are able to be freed from the sin that was passed down and restored back to right relationship with God. Jesus gave his life on the cross, his body beaten and his blood shed as the perfect sacrifice so that those who put their faith and trust in him are forgiven and cleansed of their sins. And our intimacy, therefore, is restored with God. And this is really special for us coming off of last weekend as we celebrated the baptisms in the courtyard where we were praising God and and worshiping him for those who were publicly proclaiming Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we're also careful to emphasize that the water is not what saved them. The water is just a, a public demonstration of what they are proclaiming has taken place on the inside. That they were saved when they responded to the good news of the gospel by repenting of their sins and trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that was one moment that we celebrated, but now we continue on and we don't end the conversation there. It's not a period, it's a comma. We continue on in this lifetime through the process of sanctification, learning what it looks like to live a life surrendered to Jesus. And when we talk about discipleship, we're saying that after you and I have responded to the gospel, We continue on with this as disciples, as followers of Jesus, but that God has also set up his church in a unique and and wise way that says, hey, there are brothers and sisters, there are men and women who are more mature in their faith than you, who are further along in their walk than you, and so as you follow Jesus, also follow them because they will be able to point out things in your life that you're not even aware of, of how it does not line up with the way of Jesus. It doesn't follow his instruction and his examples. But those people can call it out and say, hey, no, you've been saved into a family that's even greater than what you're used to and what you've been experiencing. So let's, let me call this up. Let me call this out of you and let me call you up into who God has called you to be. So discipleship helps us to examine and understand how Jesus says that we should handle marriage Sex, money, authority, relationships, conflict, injustice, oppression, enemies, forgiveness, serving others, the church, and everything that we experience in this thing called life. And how this is all different from what we might be used to, but as disciples of Jesus, we say, no, you're Lord, and you determine what I do. We're learning to do this as sons and daughters within our relationship with our parents and guardians or as parents and guardians within our relationship with our sons and daughters. We're learning what it looks like as followers of Jesus who are brothers or sisters to our siblings or, or teachers of students or students of teachers or friends to our homeboys and homegirls or employees at our jobs or managers of our finances. And every area of our life, therefore, gets submitted to the lordship of Jesus to say, Lord, what is your will for me in this area? We're taking off the old ways of our family of origin and the way that we're raised, both the one that we're raised in and the general ways of this world, and we're putting on the new according to the ways of the family of God. But we do it in and through Jesus Christ because it is through him that we are made part of this family. 
Galatians 4 tells us that. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son and daughter, then an heir through God. But as we learn what this means and looks like, we have to unlearn some of the lessons that we grew up with. We have to undevelop some of the habits and the patterns that have been formed within us. Some of the worldviews that have been passed down to us. And some of this comes from our family of origin. The things that our parents and siblings and aunts and uncles and grandparents have taught us about life and about relationships and everything that we navigate within this life. But all of these things will not necessarily line up with God or his ways for us. I want to let us know that some of these things are, are hurtful and some of them might actually be pleasant. Some of them might come with difficulty to, to try to examine and some of these things were taught out of the hurt and the pain that our families of origin had difficulty processing and trying to work through themselves. Some of these things were taught to us simply because they didn't know any better. They didn't have the resources or the knowledge to, to figure out a better way. Some of these lessons were taught and attached to a biblical or a Christian label. But everything that mama says isn't quite what Jesus said. It's a water boy reference. But why is this worth reiterating? It's because our identity and position in Christ is the only means by which we can break free from our old ways. That is the truth. That's what we sing. It's what we believe but that should make it an active participation on our behalf where we take steps to say, God, here, take this. Sift me, search me, know me, as Psalm 139 says. Ephesians 4, through 24 says, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in their spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. We just had this sermon series on Ephesians a few months ago, and Pastor Brent unpacked this, this passage and helped us to see that, that what we're taking off is all of the sinful patterns, all of the sinful ways, the old clothes he likened it to, and said, hey, we got to let go of these things. we got to take it off because we can't put on the new ways, the ways of Jesus and his instruction and his example, we can't put on our new clothes while remaining in our old ones. And so for us now, we're tying that in saying, hey, some of those old clothes are hand-me-downs, it's baggage, it's things that were brought into our lives through our family of origin. And that means that we have to take time to examine those things. So I wanna pose questions for us all to consider. How has your family of origin affected you today? What are the messages that you received about life from your parents and guardians? What did they teach you about friendship or about marriage or about honesty or about conflict management? What was passed down to you? Our middle and high school group here in Focus Youth has been discussing this very topic, but, but specifically uh, narrowing in on our emotions. And, and last week we were talking about anger and trying to consider, hey, what has been passed down from our family of origin about anger? And our youth ministry desires to partner with parents in the pursuit of their students. So we sent in our weekly email and encouraged parents and guardians to consider, hey, what are you teaching your students about anger? And the lessons don't have to involve a, a table discussion where, where we're sitting down and saying, all right, I want to talk to you about anger. What do you know about it? Sometimes those conversations might flow that way. 
the lessons might be passed that way. But on, on other topics, for example, parents don't have to say, hey, listen, son or daughter, I expect perfection in order for that child to grow up feeling the pressure to be perfect. It can come through the lack of delight shown to them when they get a B instead of an A. Lessons can be learned through the absence of conversation. They can be learned through physical action, and it's not just our anger. What lessons do we pass to the next generation about sex or finances if parents and guardians don't talk about it with their children, or if we don't talk about it in the church? I know it's common for parents to say, Listen, we, we don't want to argue in front of the kids, which, which can definitely appear to be good and healthy up until it leads to the kids never witnessing what healthy conflict management looks like. Yeah. Or what it looks like to receive suggestions and constructive feedback and be able to respond and say, you, you actually are right. Instead of getting defensive and fighting back. Or perhaps they do see arguments, but they never see an apology offered when it actually should be. Or worse, they observe physical or verbal acts of violence. I think that with all of the examples of baggage that have been mentioned already, we we all might be getting a little tense and and thinking of things from our childhood and adolescence and saying, man, yep, I've always wanted to grow up and be different. You have that thing that you're like, I I didn't want to raise my kids that way. On a lighthearted note, we all remember maybe driving around after school and asking mom and dad, hey, can can we have McDonald's for dinner? And you either get two responses. You got some McDonald's money, right? Y'all know. Or no, nah, we got food at the house, right? And you make that silent vow, I'm not going to be that way for my kids. And then you have kids. And you realize that it is not as easy to spend that money as you thought that it would be. But oftentimes what we do is we end up trying to steer clear from the ways of our family of origin. For example, you grew up in a militaristic household and felt like structure was just a a prison that was caging you in, and then maybe you end up raising your children to be very carefree, or vice versa. But as we try to outrun our past, running as far away and as fast as we can from being like our family of origin, it reminds me of the passenger side mirror. If you remember that scene from Jurassic Park, getting away from the T-Rex, and then you look and realize, oh, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. Your family of origin, the ways of your family of origin that you're trying to outrun from is closer than it appears. We want to do things differently, but unless we actually work through it to be different, then whatever differences we try to offer to our family or the world around us will end up resembling our parents in some way or be just as unhealthy but on the opposite end of the spectrum. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which we have at our resource center, Peace Cazeros gives us two main points as to why this particular lesson is important. He says, for one, our family history affects how we live today, which we've already recognized. But he says, for two, we need to put off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and put on the new patterns of doing life God's way in God's family. But because our family is such a a touchy subject, it's so easy for us to, to view our family and say, no, nah, I can't do that. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to aim a, 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 an, a, an arrow or a cross stitch at, at my family, and, and that just doesn't feel right. And so I want to be clear that while these statements are both true, they don't mean that our family of origin sought to harm us. Most parents and guardians genuinely have the best interests of their children in mind and where they do the best with what they have. 
And that is worth acknowledging and reminding ourselves of on a regular basis as we take these steps to go back in our past in order to move forward, as we dig in our bag and embrace our new identities in Christ. But we've also got to recognize that good intentions don't always lead to good results. If you say, Pastor Keevan, my phone died. I, I need to make a phone call. Can I borrow your phone? And I say, yeah, sure. And I toss this phone out to you, and it hits you square in your eye. It doesn't matter my good intentions. It's not going to take away from the pain that you feel. Now, it should affect the way that you view me as the person who inflicted pain on you. But in regards to your physical health, it does you no good to walk around saying, oh, man, Pastor Keevan didn't mean to do it. So I ain't hurt. Now I'm good. And it's the same way emotionally. Where we can acknowledge that our family of origin had the best intentions, but that as imperfect, sinful humans, where their sin had been received from Adam just like ours, they had limited knowledge and resources, and they did the best that they could, and we honor them for those efforts, while also acknowledging that everything was not perfect because they were not perfect. There are some pains, some hurts, some flawed lessons that have been passed down to us that create baggage in our lives. And as we come to terms with this reality, we face two paths. We can dig through our history and take what we were taught, what we were raised with, and we surrender it to Jesus to let him transform us, or we ignore it. We brush it aside. We belittle it. We pretend that everything is a-okay, everything is God-honoring, and everything is godly. But there's danger in that approach. There's danger in that approach. When we have received baggage that ultimately is not of God, but we continue to walk in it and pretend like it is of God and okay in his eyes, we are in danger of actually idolizing our family. Luke 14, 26 through 27 finds Jesus teaching, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is some strong language from Jesus, where surely the same Jesus who explained the Old Testament and summarized the, all of the commandments and explained that, hey, the greatest two are to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, this Jesus is not now saying, hey, love your neighbor, but hate your family. Here the word hate that Jesus is using basically means to love less. Where he is saying that if we're to be his followers, if you're proclaiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then to truly live a life that loves him as such means that you love your family and your own life less than you love Jesus. It means that you don't put them on an idol or put your own life on an idol or on a pedestal and say, I can't bring that to you, Jesus. I'm good in, in this area. I, I don't need your insights. I've got it covered. We don't hide something from him. We come with abandon and say, God, point out anything in me that offends you. Whether there's something that I believe myself or whether there was something that was passed down to me. Peace Cazero says, Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. In order for us to truly let Jesus be Lord in every area of our lives, we have to take the time and put forth the effort to let the light of Christ shine into those areas of our lives. We can't hinder some areas. 
We can't insist. My family taught me this, and they went to church, and this is all I've ever known, so it must be right. I learned this in the church, so it must be right. We take it all, we love our family of origin less than Jesus, and we hold it under the examination of Scripture to see what God has to say about every matter. And in doing so, we take a deep look at ourselves and are honest with God about how we feel, like how we have to sometimes over-function or over-perform in order to feel loved by others. Our tendency to resolve conflict poorly, to not let ourselves feel at all, or the reality that our outlook on marriage, relationships, or life itself is actually more culturally based than it is biblical. This is even harder when our jobs and our career fields further reinforces the ways that we were raised in. But God's desire is that we recognize these things and bring them to the light and embrace our identity as sons and daughters in his family, even if it goes against the grain of what we learned on our sports teams, in our homes, in the military, or whatever job and career field that we find ourselves in, and we say no. I know that everyone wants me to grind in and, and, and work more hours, but I, I see right here, Lord, in your word that you want me to embrace Sabbath rest. I see that I, I'm tempted to compare myself to try to fight for that number one spot and get that promotion, but Jesus, you tell me that my identity is not in the success or the money that I make, but my identity is rooted in Christ. I want us to close by looking at an Old Testament figure who was a part of two families, but faced an option to identify with either one of them. His choice would lead to very different consequences, where on one end he could lead, uh, make a choice that would lead to hard work and difficulty and even suffering all for the glory of God. But on the other side, he had a choice that would include comfortable living outside of the will of God. My hope is that through this story, we will see the, the paralleled options that are in front of us. Where we're, we're talking about Moses. If you remember Moses, his story, we, we don't have time to work through all of Exodus, so we'll do a brief flyover. Moses was born an Israelite, but born in a time where the Pharaoh, he was having every baby boy killed. Every Israelite baby boy, because he feared that there would be a, an uprising and a rebellion, and so he insisted that every boy be killed. But the scriptures tell us that Moses' parents did not fear Pharaoh, and they raised this baby boy, and then uh, uh, old enough until he was able to be given off, and they sent him down the Nile, but he ended up being picked up and raised in the household of Pharaoh being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, being raised as an Egyptian. Two families, born an Israelite, raised in an Egyptian family. And throughout his life, we see that he continued to feel all of the comforts of being raised in that palace until he walked out one day and saw two men fighting, one an Israelite, one an Egyptian. And he, in defense of the Israelite, fought the Egyptian off and killed him and then ran for his life starting his own family, a third family, going off to the land of Midian, where he met his wife and lived with his father-in-law, Jethro. And, and within Moses' life, this is where God encountered him through the burning bush and called him to be the, the, the mouthpiece that went to bring forth the deliverance of Israel. But within this calling, Moses faced three options. 
He faced three options. One where he could say, nah, I'm good right here. I've got murder on my record. I don't know what's going to happen if I go back to Egypt. But then if I go and be with Israel and side with them, I'm going to have to embrace the suffering as a servant that they experience. I've got comfortable living, at least in Midian. It's not the comforts of Egypt, but I'm well off. What we see is that Moses had a complicated family history. But within his choices, what we see, the New Testament puts Moses' action and his, his faith in frame for us. In Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose instead to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Well, we don't get clear insight into all of Moses' thoughts as he was weighing his options. The author of Hebrews presents this clear picture that Moses chose to identify with the people of God rather than his Egyptian side or rather than remaining in Midian and that his choice made by faith actually meant that he was choosing to love God more than his Egyptian family. He was choosing to love God more than the comforts that would exist in Egypt. He was choosing to love God more than the comforts that remained in Midian. He chose to love God even if it meant suffering with Israel because being and belonging to the people of God within the family of God is greater than embracing the comforts that come with our family of origin. Hopefully the parallel is clear that regardless of our backgrounds, we have similar choices. Whether or not you were adopted by earthly family, as a follower of Jesus, you were adopted into the family of God. Whether or not we've got murder in our history, we've got sins in our past that we can choose to run from or we choose to surrender before God. And maybe we don't have the option to live in the comfort of a palace, but it would certainly be more comfortable to, live, to avoid the hard work that comes with examining the ways from our family of origin, the baggage and the hand-me-downs that we have received. It's more comfortable to ignore those things than to bring it to God because then we have to suffer and face the pain. But as the old saying goes, the safest place you can be is in the will of God. We can run away from it and feel the pleasantries of Egypt and choose to view life through the lens of our family of origin simply because it's more comfortable, but it's actually going to bring more detriment and more hurt in the long run. There's an easy going that comes with going with the flow when we choose not to rock the boat, but those pleasantries are temporary compared to the eternal joy and the freedom that comes as we shine the light of Christ inside and sift through the baggage and say, God, Show me what offends you. Show me what is not of you. I'm saying that if we, like Moses, choose to surrender to God's desire for us, then while it might not always be comfortable, we choose to walk with the comforter. While it's painful walking through the hurtful memories from our past, we have the presence of our healer. And while it's difficult and exhausting to go back, we are not forsaken by our rock and our refuge who goes before us as we move forward. So I want to invite us to prayer right now because I think that this positions us as it does every week, that we don't just come in here and, and hear a message sitting under the teaching of God's word and walk out like it was 
the announcements of a sports game. It doesn't move us. It doesn't change us. But rather, we have an opportunity to respond in faith. That even if we don't have the time, because it takes some time. It's, it's not an overnight, let me look inside and sift through this baggage. It's a lifelong journey. Where the lessons that you maybe have learned three years ago when we did this sermon series, now you're going even deeper. Maybe if this is your first time, that you're beginning and you're saying, God, help me to see. Show me my sin. But also show me the sin of my family of origin. Not because I want to shame them. Not because I, I, I want to argue or, or, or put myself as greater than them. Because that's not the way of Jesus either. But Lord, show me this. Open my eyes so that I can better glorify you in my life and in the example and the instruction that I give to those that I have influence over. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.